I want to invite you that you would open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to continue with our Christmas series. Really leading up to this Christmas Eve on Sunday morning, as we do part two tonight of the sounds of praise and prophecy, the sounds of praise and prophecy. The stage is being set here in the first two chapters. In the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, where Elizabeth has received the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, as Gabriel has also visited Mary to give her the announcement, and she's responded, let it be to me according to your word. And then also, Mary has visited Elizabeth, rejoicing together, she praises God. She worships God there at that portion we left off on Sunday. She worships God in, in her song for who he is and what he's done. This is how she trusts God. This is how we trust God today. We trust him by worshiping him for who he is and what he has done. And what does Mary do as she sings these songs? She, she's singing, she's revealing that, that in her heart and in her mind, she's saturated with the word of God. Why? Because out of her mouth, coming from her heart, comes the songs that are filled with the law, the Psalms, the prophets. It's all the word of God that she's singing. Someone once said, what's down in the well will come up in the buckets. And we know what's coming up is the word of God. It's praise to God, who he is. What does she say about who God is? She responds and she says that, that God is mighty, that God is holy, that is his name, that God is merciful. To who is he mighty? To who is he holy? To who is he merciful to? And he would say to those that are humble, to those that are hungry, and to those that are helpless. And this is Mary's song that points us to the Father, pointing you right now, if you are, are helpless, maybe feeling, or now needing of the Lord's feeling, that you would go to him and be filled with good things. But beginning in verse 67, we see the portion here of the prophecy of Zacharias. And while Mary sings for what God has done and who he is, what Zacharias is doing is he's praising God for what he will do. That's why it's called a prophecy. He's praising God for what God will do. He's trusting in God for his promises. Now John the Baptist is born, and his father is filled, Zacharias, with the Holy Spirit, and he praises God as well. So what illustration do we receive here from this chapter? That both an understanding of the Word of God, like Mary, and being filled with the Spirit like Zacharias produces the same in the believer. What is it? Praise to God. Being filled with the Word and being filled with the Spirit produce praise to God. We're gonna see three things in the text tonight. We're gonna to see praise, prophecy, and then promises. Would you write that down? Praise, prophecy, and promises. All about salvation, all about Jesus, all about why he came. This is why Christmas is important. It's not just a celebration. It is not just a, a potluck with your family. It is not just celebrating another Sunday morning that is special or we put an emphasis on or we bring a guest. 
This is why Christmas is important. In this prophecy, we find all the blessings and benefits of Christmas. Let's read it there. Luke 1, verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of those who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you teach us why your birth was so important, why your birth matters to us right now. You remind us through this text, Lord, that your birth changed the course of our future for all eternity, that you have set us free, that you have defeated the enemy, that you have made a way of salvation. And all of that is important. All of that is why we celebrate, Lord, your coming. So we thank you. We ask that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Together we would say, amen. Notice here we begin with the praise for God. And he's praising God for a few things. In fact, he begins here by praising God because God has visited his people. These are six benefits and we're going to look at them as we go through the verses as to why we praise God. Notice here, verse 67, Now the father Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what made this prophecy possible. Notice that, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of the Spirit that enabled Zacharias to announce these promises that he's about to declare. It was him being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that he was under the control of the Spirit. He was under the power of the Holy Spirit. He was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when you and I are under the power, the control, and the influence of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna praise God for his promises. It's gonna be spirit led worship, spirit-led praise. Now, there are three types of prophecies in the Bible as we study Scripture, and we know the most common form of prophecy that we all know of or we study is when we are thinking about prophecy as foretelling future events by divine inspiration. Well, not only is that prophecy, but also prophecy includes foretelling of the Word of God. And then the third form of prophecy in Scripture is prophetic praise. So it's foretelling of future events by divine inspiration. It's the fourth telling of the Word of God. And it's prophetic praise. Here, what's happening is that Zacharias is prophesying with all three. He is foretelling of future events. 
He is forth telling the word of God and he is praising God prophetically. Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. You wanna be used by God to point people to God, to God's plan, to God's purpose, to God's word, then ask him today, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And this is what happens as he's pointing others to God. And notice what he says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. This is why they call this prophetic praise the Benedictus, because he's praising God. He says, praise be to the Lord God of Israel. Do you see that this is God-centered worship? Who is he praising? He's praising God. Blessed be, or, or praise is, to the Lord, my master, the God of Israel. Now, I want you to circle a word there in verse 68, because this is the focus of his worship. This is the focus of our worship. Notice the focus is the Lord God of Israel. But the objective of his focus is here found in this word, for. Why is he praising him? For all of these benefits. He's praising him for all of these blessings. He's praising him for all that he will do and is doing. Now, while Mary praised God because of who he is and what he did, Zacharias is praising God for all he will do. Do you know that today we can stand in worship and praise God not only for what he's done, we can praise God right now for what he's about to do. Amen? We, we trust in who he is. Lord, thank you for what you've, you've done in the past, but because of who you are and because of your faithfulness, we can praise you right now based on your word, based on your promises for what you are about to do. You know what that shows? That you truly trust him. That's the kind of worship that pleases God. When his people are praising him because they trust him. Today we praise God because we trust him. Zechariah trusts in God's word and in God's plan. Notice the first reason as to why he's praising God or the first benefit when it comes to Christmas is this, for he has visited and redeemed his people. No, number one, he visits his people. He has visited us. That, that is the first blessing as to why Zacharias praises God, because God has visited us. It is not like religion where we have to work up to reach God. God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He has reached down to us. God became flesh. In John 1:14, we know this verse very well. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, John is saying, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is it that Zacharias is praising God for? The incarnation. God became flesh. God visited us. Praise be to the Lord, our master, the one true God of Israel, because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. We are not alone. You may feel lonely. I want to tell you something tonight. You are not alone. We are not living alone. We are comforted by the presence of God. 
And when you're filled with the Spirit, you can recognize His presence in your life. Just realize that when you're filled with the Spirit, you recognize, you have an awareness of God's presence in your life. Praising God for He has visited. But also, number two, He has redeemed His people. Note that tonight. He visited us. He has come near. God became flesh. God is with us. And notice, he redeemed his people. You see, the benefit here of worshiping the Lord is not simply because he visited us, but also because he redeemed us. Because he set us free. That's what redemption means. This is the whole purpose as to why we celebrate the birth of Christ. He visits us. He redeems us. Someone asks you, why is Christmas important to you? Because he visits us and he has redeemed us. Because God came near, because he is Emmanuel, because the word became flesh. And not only was he born, he also died to set us free from the penalty of our sins. Do you see why the birth was so important? Without the incarnation, we have no redemption. This is filled, it's loaded with theology here for you to learn why we celebrate Christmas. He has set us free by paying the price for our sins. That's what redemption means, to set free. Jesus came to save and to deliver from the bondage of sin and death. In fact, when we look at verse 68, notice we're praising God because the captives have been set free. You know who the captives are or who the captives were? We were the captives. We were held captive to sin, to death, to shame, to addictions. But notice, we have been set free from the penalty of our sin because God visits us and he has set us free. Can we praise the Lord for that tonight? He has set us free. When did he do that? When we could not set ourselves free. Because we couldn't do it for ourselves. Only Christ could pay that necessary price for our redemption. You think about when you think about the word redeem. Well, what does it mean to redeem? It it means to to pay the price in exchange for something. It it means that you now have redeemed something for yourself. You, You have gathered it. You have received it in exchange for paying a price. That's what the Lord has done for us. The price for our freedom has been paid by the blood. The price for our freedom has been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. He he was our substitute. He was the one who atoned for our sins. In 1 Peter chapter 1, would you note this tonight? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 reminds us how we were redeemed. Well, what was it that redeemed us knowing that you were not redeemed? Notice 1 Peter 1, 18, with corruptible things. We, we were redeemed with temporary things of temporary value like silver and gold from your aimless conduct. That, that was our life. We have been redeemed from an aimless conduct, from a wasteful life. Received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
What was it that redeemed us? A lamb without blemish and a lamb without spots. He paid the price with his own blood so that the captives could be set free. Now notice, it wasn't just the opening of the prison doors so that we would be set free from sin and death. It was also the winning of a battle. The captives have been set free, but notice number two, the enemy also has been defeated. You look at the little manger, the captives have been set free and the enemy has been defeated. What a great gift you have to look forward to on the tree that is the cross where Jesus gave you the greatest gift of all, the gift that doesn't get old, the gift that keeps on giving, the gift that brings you peace, the gift that brings you joy. And he begins by reminding us this in verse 67 of three covenants, three covenants that God has fulfilled that were foretold in the Old Testament. What was foretold in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. The Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and the New Covenant. Three covenants we'll look at tonight as we go through these verses. The Davidic, Abrahamic, and New Covenant. God deals with us with promises. Aren't we grateful for that? We can hold on to his word and we can trust that what he says, he will do it. He deals with us with promises. And there you find it in verse 69, it would say, and has raised up a horn of salvation. The third reason why he's praising God not only because he visits us, because he's redeemed us, because Jesus is the horn of salvation for us. Number three, Jesus is the horn of salvation for us. What does it mean, horn? It's the, the horn is the strongest part of an animal. And when someone would say horn, as David would even in the Psalms, he would express victory or express strength. What has God raised up? God has raised up a strong, victorious Savior for us. I'm praising God, Zacharias would say. This is prophetic praise because he has raised up a strong, victorious Savior for us in the house of David. Do you see there the prophetic praise? Why is it prophetic? Because it has been prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come from the family of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord said that he would raise up someone from the family of David and his kingdom would have no end. Speaking of the Messiah. So what is it that Zacharias is praising God for there in verse 69? God has raised up a strong, victorious Savior for us. Notice, circle the word in verse 69, salvation. Salvation. Praise God for our salvation. What do you have to be grateful for this year? For your salvation. Have you ever been disappointed opening up a gift? It, it almost seems that, you know what, every single year I get the same thing. <laughs> Open up a gift, you think, man, socks again, really? The gift that Christ gives you will never disappoint you. It's the gift of salvation. And what does Zacharias demonstrate here is that he's trusting God more after having been dealt with the loving discipline of God. 
You have to remember here that he hasn't spoken for nine months. And after not speaking for nine months and God dealing with him, he opens his mouth and says the right things. He opens his mouth and says the right things. He trusts God more after having received the loving discipline of God. But notice there in verse 70 also, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. He's praising God also because God keeps his promises. God has raised up a victorious savior. Jesus is the horn of salvation for us. He is our strength. He is our salvation. He is in whom we have victory in this life, just as he spoke by his holy prophets. What does he remind us here? That he is praising God because God keeps his promises. You, you can write that down this tonight. God keeps his promises just as he spoke. I, I love the word here, spoke or as he spoke. Well, when God speaks something, what God has spoken cannot be broken. <laughs> if God said it, it's gonna happen. And as he spoke it, just consider it done already. <laughs> just as he spoke, he has kept his promises. It, it has been fulfilled. Even that which he spoke, notice, since the world began. God is outside of time. He's eternal. And when he speaks something, regardless of when he spoke it, even before the creation of the world, notice, it will be fulfilled. This is all part of God's plan of redemption. If you read the entire Bible from cover to cover, every single book has the theme of redemption. That God would come to be born to only die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a relationship to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. And in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Now, why is he praising God here? He's praising God not only because of his salvation, He's praising God not only because he keeps his promises, but he's also praising God because Jesus saves us from our enemies. Do you notice there in his prophetic praise, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us? The captives have been set free, but notice here in verse 71, the enemy has been defeated. Who is the enemy? Who is that which hates us? Well, it's the devil, of course. But the enemy is also the world. It's the, it's the devil, it's the world, and that's the, the third battle that we always fight with, and it's the flesh. God, through his son Jesus, as he visits us and redeems us, has set us free from the enemy that wants to destroy us, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Zacharias is praising God for everything God has done for us through the birth of his son, Jesus. He's fully persuaded with the promises of God. He knows what he believes and why he believes it. 
In fact, not only does he go from the Davidic covenant, he, here's the Abrahamic covenant in verse 72. To perform his mercy or the mercy promised to our fathers. This is the covenant that God had with Abraham. And it's the benefit that we received as we trusted in Christ. That God is the horn of salvation for us, that God keeps his promises, that Jesus saves us from our enemies, but also that he gives us mercy. Well, what did you receive when you received Christ? Notice what you received, mercy. That's amazing that we have received mercy. What does mercy mean? That he forgave you. It's, it's his loving compassion. Mercy explains God's forgiveness. Mercy is an expression of the love of God. That while we deserve judgment, he did not give us what we did deserve. That's what mercy means. He pardoned us. Why has God done this? Only to perform the mercy he promised. That's amazing there in verse 72 that he performs what he promises. Don't you love those two words there in verse 72? He performs what he promises. What we have received is mercy. His faithful love, his compassion that he promised, notice to who? To our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. This is amazing. He, he goes back to David and the Messiah. Then he goes back to Abraham and God's covenant and oath and promises with his people. What did God promise Abraham? That he would have mercy upon his people. That he would show his love, his grace, his compassion. That same covenant that still stands today in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why do we receive that covenant? Why do we receive that mercy? We've been grafted into the family. We've been adopted as his sons. We have received God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. So here we find the blessing, the benefit of why Christ was born and notice, going back to David, going back to Abraham, verse 74, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Again, he has rescued us from our enemies. He saves us, and then he rescues us from our enemies. He has given us this word here, deliverance. And not simply a national deliverance that many would have waited for or expected? What kind of deliverance have we received? A spiritual deliverance. He's been that promised Messiah, that promised Savior. He's given us that deliverance from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear. So do you see that he has spoken in the last few verses regarding our salvation? But we have been saved for one reason, to serve him. Well, what, how, why have you been saved? Notice the word there. He's our salvation. He's the horn of our salvation. He's our strong and mighty savior. He's our victorious 
salvation. And then note, it would describe here now that we being saved might serve him. Circle the words, serve him. God has saved us so that we can serve him. We are saved to serve so that we can serve him without fear. Well, why is it without fear? Because now we have a relationship with God through our redemption, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. We can serve God without fear. Today, you can approach God. Today, you can commit to serving the Lord, and you've been saved for that very purpose. Salvation, service, but notice here the same verse, sanctification. This is amazing. We, we will miss this if we go too fast with these verses. We've been saved to serve him without fear. Here's the sanctification, verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. What is God's plan for your life today? You can explain it with three words. God's plan for my life is salvation, service, sanctification. God's plan for your life is salvation, service, sanctification. God has saved you so that you can serve him according to his will in a way that pleases him. That we may serve God without fear, notice, in holiness and in righteousness. How does God expect you to serve him? With your life. Living a life of holiness, separated unto him, keeping yourself pure. You know what holiness means? To be set apart. God did not save you so that you can live your life any way you want. God saved you so that you would be set apart for a special purpose. That you can serve him, set apart from the world, unto him in righteousness before God. In other words, righteousness before God, it means that you would be right before him. But do you see how it begins with holiness and then it continues with righteousness? Holiness is the root. Righteousness is the fruit. If I'm holy in the inside, I'm going to be righteous on the outside. Holiness and righteousness, this is your sanctification. It's the process of you becoming holy or becoming more like Christ as you're set apart for his special use. What is it that God wants for your life? Salvation, service, sanctification. Salvation, service, sanctification. Now, why is sanctification is so important when we talk about service? Because more important than your giftedness is your godliness. There's so many people think that, you know what, I, I'm gifted. They need me in the ministry. No, they don't. <laughs> you know what's more important than your giftedness is, is your godliness. More important than what you're able to do is who you are inside. And matter of fact, more important than your ministry is your integrity. Serve him in holiness and righteousness. What does God expect out of you? 
before ministry is maturity. Remember that very clearly. This is the prophetic praise. This is the prophecy. Here is exactly what God's plan for your life is. And notice all the days of our life. You were enlisted in a lifetime of service that pleases God through holiness. There's one person that's excited about serving the Lord this way. It's a lifetime of service and a pursuit of holiness. Do you see the pursuit here? He didn't say Sundays. He didn't say Wednesdays. All the days of our life. When are you called to serve the Lord? All the days of your life. This is a pursuit to holiness. This is a pursuit to righteousness. All the days of your life, you know what it speaks of? Progress. Progress, growth. If we're serving the Lord all the days of our life, we are pursuing him, reaching towards progress, looking for growth where it matters most, and that is in our sanctification. Paul is very clear Ephesians 4.24. He would say this, that you'd put on the new man. Put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know what this reminds us of when it comes to our service and sanctification? That some people are more usable than other people because of the kind of life they live. Some people are more usable than other people because of the kind of life that they live. Our prayer should not be, Lord, use me more. Don't pray, Lord, use me more. You know what you should pray instead? Lord, make me more usable. Because if you're more usable, he will use you more. This is how you become usable. You want to be used? Then make yourself usable. Holiness, righteousness. God has preformed what he has promised to rescue us from our enemies so that we can serve him in a way that pleases him. So that we can serve him in a way that pleases him. He has set us free not to do our own will. Do you see that? You know what your will looks like? Bondage. He has set us free to enjoy the freedom that is in him by living a life that pleases him. You know what freedom looks like? Pleasing God. Freedom looks like pleasing God, not pleasing self. Pleasing self is bondage. Freedom is pleasing God. That is the praise to God. Can we look at the prophecy about John? And you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the highest. Circle the word highest. He, he's giving praise to God as he speaks to John. There has been an opening of the prison doors, but there's also a canceling of debt. The canceling of debt is, happens through the introduction of the forerunner. 
And you, John, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways. There are three focuses in the ministry of John the Baptist. He begins by being called a prophet, the prophet of the highest. He'd be the prophet because he would be prophesying regarding Christ Jesus. He would be speaking forth, the prophet of the highest. He's a prophet. But notice, not only is he a prophet in what he speaks, he's also a forerunner. Do you notice that in verse 76? You will go before the face of the Lord. You will go before. You are a forerunner. You know what a forerunner would do? He would announce the coming of the king. You're a prophet in what you speak of regarding the highest, but you are also a forerunner in that you come before the king and you make the announcement, the king is coming. That's what the forerunner would do. He would go before the now procession of the king and he would say, everyone make the path straight. Everyone clear the road. The king is coming. Prepare the way for the king. John the Baptist would be a prophet. John the Baptist would be a forerunner. He would introduce Israel to their king. Amazing. The prophet of the highest, as a forerunner, introducing Israel to the son of the highest that was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the highest all having God at the center of this. That was the ministry of John, the prophet and the forerunner. What was his ministry in Matthew chapter 3? Matthew 3 verse 1 says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! That was his message. Just think about it. You come to church every single Sunday or Wednesday. That's the same message. Repent. He would say, Turn to God, everyone. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what he's saying. Your king is coming now. For this is what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. There it is, the prophet, foretelling, speaking forth regarding the Messiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What was the message of John the Baptist as a forerunner? Prepare your heart for the king that is coming. Make his path straight, clear the road. Make things right because the king is coming. Do you know that message applies to you right now tonight? The king is coming. The king is born. Clear the road for the king. Remove anything that gets in the way of the king coming to you right now. Is there anything on that road that leads to the intimate space of your heart that you need to remove for the king that is coming? Prepare the paths, make them straight. He was a prophet, he was a forerunner, but notice verse 77, he was an evangelist. Three things that we recognize John the Baptist to be because he would give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. This is evangelism. You find prophecy, you find a forerunner that prepares the way 
announcing and introducing the king to his people, but also here you find an evangelist. He's going to give people knowledge. He's going to teach people how they can find salvation. Notice this, this word here, salvation, to give knowledge of salvation. Why? Because people did not have knowledge of salvation. There are so many people today that don't know how they can be saved. You ask someone right now, how is it that you can be saved? They may not know how to answer that question. John came to give people the knowledge of how they could be saved. Salvation means spiritual soundness. How they can be spiritually right, how they can have salvation, how they can be right between them and God. What is the knowledge of salvation here to the people of God? By remission of their sins. That is how we find salvation. You have to be forgiven of your sins. What did John the Baptist do? He confronted people about their sins. The very thing oftentimes we don't like being confronted with regarding our what? Sins. How are you saved? By remission of sins. When your debt has been canceled because Christ has paid the penalty of the judgment that was on your behalf. The word remission is a very important word. It means to send away. It means to dismiss a debt. John came to introduce the remission of sins, the canceling of our debt, by what Christ would be the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. In John 1.29, what did John say? The next day John saw Jesus coming. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the what? Sins of the world. He was a prophet, he was a forerunner, and he was an evangelist giving the knowledge of salvation by the remission of sins. John would not only prepare the way for the king, he would not only be the one that would prophesy foretelling the coming of the king, the Messiah, but he would give knowledge as to how salvation would be received, how we would find deliverance. This is the prophecy of John, but notice the promise of Jesus in verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, and he's speaking now of, of Jesus, this is not only the prison doors being opened, the captives being set free, the enemy being defeated, the canceling of debt through the remission of sins when Christ has paid the penalty of our judgment, but this is the dawning of a new day. You know what this means? That when Christ came, he also gave you a new life. When we celebrate Christmas, it's so important to us. Because of Christmas, because of the birth, then the death happened, my salvation was possible, I have a new life. <laughs> Why is Christmas important? Because of the dawning of a new day because of the dawning of a new day. Notice, by the tender mercy of our God, through the tender mercy of our God. What does this mean? By the loving, compassionate Father. This is why it happened. Do you see why our salvation took place? Because of his love, because of his tender mercy of who? Of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. 
What's the day spring from on high that has visited us? He compares Jesus from on high as the day spring or as a sunrise. The sunrise has visited us. The Messiah is compared, Jesus, as the morning light from heaven. By the mercy and tender love of God, we have received God's light from heaven that breaks upon us because we're living in darkness. This is the dawning of a new day. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. During the dark day, during dark times, notice what we receive. During a time of darkness, distress, death, Jesus visits us as God's sunrise. It was dark, but then we saw the light breaking through. You know who that light is? It's Jesus Christ. The light has broken through darkness. This verse is amazing. This verse reminds us that even in darkness, distress, and death, the light of God broke through like the morning dawn, and that light's name is Jesus. What an example to us. When Jesus came there in verse 78, it was the dawn of a new day. It had been dark, but when Jesus came, it was the dawn of a new day because of the tender mercies of God. And what did he bring? He brought light. He brought life. He brought peace. And he visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness. What did he give us? Light. Do you remember the day that you sat in darkness? But now the morning dawn has broken through darkness and we've received the light. Jesus broke through to enlighten us, write this down, and to direct us, number two. We can't have direction if we don't have light. To give us light to those who sit in darkness, he's enlightened us, those who sit in the shadow of death, headed to death, but also to guide, there's a direction, our feet into the way of peace. This is amazing. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us. This is why we sing light of the world. You have stepped down into darkness. You've opened my eyes. Now I see. Do you see when we find those lyrics to that song? Here we have it. The dawning of a new day. Heaven's light breaking through darkness. He is the light of the world. He is the promised son that would be light in darkness. So to give us light to those who sit in darkness, to those who sit in the shadow of death, to those that are on their way to eternal death, Christ would enlighten us. He would open our eyes. We would be able to spiritually see how lost we were. We would be able to know the truth, understand that he is the light, and then he would guide us Notice the direction he gives, guide our feet into the way of peace. He put us on this path, a beautiful path, a path that we weren't on before. We thought we were on the path, but we were not on that path. We were lost, so we needed to be enlightened. And then he put us on the path that leads us to one thing. What is it? Would you say it? Peace. 
It's amazing that God gives us this type of direction, peace with God. The only way that you can have peace and the peace of God is first having peace with God. Maybe often we have thought, well, you know what? I, I don't have the peace of God. And, and maybe you don't because you haven't had peace with God. Peace with God is when you recognize that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. You repent from your sin and that you receive the sacrifice of the cross as the substitution and the atonement for our judgment. And we then have peace with God. That is the gospel. The Messiah would bring the light of truth. The Messiah would bring the light of forgiveness to all of those that were blinded by darkness and sin. And now we can follow the light into the place of peace. There's so many people today that are blinded by the darkness of their own sin. You know what sin does? It, it will blind you. Jesus came to break through that darkness so that we can be enlightened and have the path of peace. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What is Jesus? He is the light of the world. And what does he do? He guides us. He leads us as that light, as that shepherd as well. Verse 80. So the child grew, John, and became strong in the spirit. Notice he, he was strong in spirit. And was in the deserts, notice, it says deserts, it doesn't say desert. <laughs> he was in the desert to the day of his manifestation to Israel. This is important as we look at John's development because John grew up and became strong in the spirit and he lived in the wilderness he lived in the wilderness until, or you can write till the day, circle till the day. You know, God oftentimes sends us to the wilderness till the day or until it's time for our public ministry. God sent John to the wilderness to prepare him in private for what he was gonna do through him in public. He was in the wilderness in obscurity. He, he was alone with God. He was becoming strong in spirit, alone with God in the wilderness so that he can be used in public that day of his manifestation to Israel into the day that God said, John, it's time for you to come forward as the prophet, the forerunner, and the evangelist with a message that I've given you. What did that message sound like? Repent. Repent. Judgment is coming. Don't you love that when God wants to disciple us, when he wants to train us, when he wants to strengthen us in the spirit, you know what he does? He'll prepare us where? In the wilderness. We have to let God teach us through the wilderness because those are the moments where he is strengthening us from the inside. The strengthen us 
in private so that he can use us in public. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 3 with me? Matthew 3, let's look at the day of the manifestation of John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, verse 7, John sees many Pharisees and religious leaders coming to him. And in, jo in Matthew 3, verse 6, it says, and, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing what? Their sins. The message of repentance is the message of confession. The message of repentance is, is the message of the gospel, turning away from your sin and turning to God. But when he saw John, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, notice he saw religious leaders coming to his baptism. He said to them, brood of vipers. Now talk about really a warm welcome. He called them, you snakes. You look good on the outside. You are filled with religion. You're filled with hypocrisy. You know how it is to look like someone that's spiritual. You know what it's like to sound like someone that's spiritual. You may know scripture, but you don't know God. And he says this here, as he's speaking to them, he says, coming to his baptism, and he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. The prophet, the forerunner, the evangelist, was to point us to Jesus and to give us this message to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Show through your life that you truly have repented. If on the inside you've repented, there's going to be fruit on the outside of repentance. Bear, show, carry, give, produce fruit. And do not think to say to yourselves, we are have Abraham as our father. Don't think that you're saved, you're right with God just because you're Jewish, just because Abraham is your father. Don't, don't use that as, as a way of showing this false spirituality, this this form of exterior self-righteousness that is false. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. God can do whatever he wants. He'll make these stones become the children of Abraham if he wants to. And even now, notice the word now, urgency. The ax is laid to the root of the trees. What does it mean when an ax is laid to the root of the trees? The ax has made a mark. The ax is ready to cut that tree. Judgment is coming now. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The message is clear. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins so that he can give us light in our life freedom from the bondage of sin, and we, need, we can experience all the promises 
that he has foretold and lead us in the path of peace. You know what that way to peace is? The way to find that light is? That we, as we've seen the sun, we would repent. You would say, well, I repented already. Yes, you did. But you know what repentance is? It, 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 repentance is an act of the will where you constantly, every single day as you come to the cross, you are daily repenting of sin and turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, wash me and cleanse me with your blood. Can we pray?